ask the Lord's blessing on our time. Dear Lord, we're grateful. The joy we have in you and the fellowship and the friendships and the families. Good days like today. Thank you for it. Thank you for your word. In your son's name, amen. Um, I've been in a couple discussions lately, more than a couple, where certain questions have come up which got me thinking about certain biblical truths. And um, so I was looking at portions of Romans. Um, Romans is that sort of book. I think I preached through Romans 13 years ago at church. And uh, and every so often you go back and grab something in Romans. Romans is is that cohesive sort of book that you want to be conscious of that cohesion. But there are sections in Romans. We're in Romans 5 this morning because Romans 1 through 4 establishes the need of faith in Jew and Gentile alike. Every man is a sinner. Everyone needs faith. And the law isn't going to do it. And then from 5 through 11, you have the argument um, given of what are the effects of this, what's the, how to come to grips with this uh, uh, demand of faith. And then you have some practical things in the last part of the book. So over the next few weeks, I was thinking I'd be going through you know, 5 through 8, that sort of, um, uh, some real strong um, uh, elements of the way Christians should think about their salvation in Christ. 9 through 11 has to do with what do you do with the annoyance that God's gift to the Gentiles creates in Jews who are no longer specially elect. Um, and how you deal with that. But we'll try to go through 5 through 8 uh, for the, much of the applicable things in our life. Now over on the left-hand side, I have a couple of quotes, one from chapter 3 and one from chapter 4. Just to let you know that the first four chapters are about this. But now the righteousness of God has been manifest <coughs> apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. It's a, it's a wonderful phrase that sums up our religion. The religion to which you belong, even if you don't belong to this church, you belong to this religion. Righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified by his grace as a gift, through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as an expiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to prove at the present time that he himself is righteous, and that he justifies him who has faith in Jesus. So you get the picture he's big on faith in Jesus? And that this is the path of reconciliation with God. The righteousness of God is there because of faith. Romans 4.16 says, That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace. 
So the first four chapters is Paul wrestling both Jew and Gentile alike with the problem of sin, the need for grace, the need for grace being obtained through faith. And in chapter 4 is his argument on Abraham being an example of that. So when we get to chapter 5, that's why it says in the first word, therefore, since we are justified by faith, okay, he, in chapter 5, verse 1, he is considering that a proved point. You might not agree with salvation by faith, but Paul believes that you should at least understand that his position is salvation by faith. The Christian position is salvation by faith, justified by faith. But sometimes when we see all this, you might say, uh, front-loaded talk on faith, we get caught up. Uh, there's even a, a negative term for those who are, you might say, too big on faith, called fideists. So, boy, words I learn at church. Fideism, or fideist means, fides means faith. And so a fideist is someone who is, you know, faith all the time, no matter what. Well, faith is stressed in the New Testament. Faith is, um, but not just faith as faith, but faith to certain ends, faith to certain ends, and faith in certain things. Not just faith for the sake of faith. Because if you take out, since we are justified by faith, therefore, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of this, it is not so much to say, we have faith, you have the law. You, we have faith, you have ritual. We have faith, you have whatever. We have peace with God. You know, some, I, was, I was talking to a... Um, a friend last night about the distinction between certain theological camps that he was in one, I was in another. And he was asking about whether or not I thought there was any ground for boasting in, in faith because I, I believe in freedom of the will and he did not. And I said, no, I don't think there's any grounds for boasting in faith. But a fideist goes that direction. They start to think it's about the faith rather than about the Lord. And that the faith starts to be the end that they are about rather than the peace that we're granted through faith. Faith is part of the narrative that answers the problem. It is not the place you're going. We need to live by faith. We need to function by faith. We're going somewhere by it. We're going to the peace of God. Through him we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in our hope of sharing the glory of God. You have to say, where is the faith supposed to take me? The faith takes me to my knees before my God, and through him, not through the faith, but through him, I have access, obtained the access to this grace. I have been graced two things. You've heard me say that the gospel provides, promises two things. Forgiveness of sins, life eternal. Okay? Both of those things are in that verse. You obtained access to this grace, and we rejoice in our hope of sharing the glory of God. 
Eternal life, forgiveness of sins. But you want to remember that it's going somewhere. Too many Christians start, might say, overthinking whether or not their faith is strong enough, good enough, right enough, rather than looking for the thing they can actually measure. Do I have peace with God? Anybody ask the question you asked yourself this morning? You know that my view of, if you've talked to me at any length about the nature of self or the nature of our existence as individuals, is that all men, all women, seek for peace. Whatever you do is because you want some peace. You want ease to be with your profession, your drugs, your drink, whatever it is you are doing because you want to be at ease. And you think you have the answer of how that's going to happen. You were wrong. God was right. He was going to bring peace to you through this. But you have to examine yourself to make sure that these things are the things you are concerned with because these are the things that Christianity came to answer to bring you peace with God. If you're not even measuring peace with God, if you're not even measuring the hope of glory in your, in your thinking, you're just thinking about whether you're at a cool enough church or you like the singing or don't or think that the pastor would be better if he had an English accent. Those aren't the big ticket items in Christianity. The big ticket is peace and hope. In this passage, there's a lot of other good things that we could be measuring as well, but here, therefore, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you? Is that... Is that what people describe you as when you're walking down the street? Your friends go, hey, so-and-so. You know so-and-so? Just talking to you on the street, and you walk off, and they're chatting about you behind your back because that's what people do. They gossip. And they go, yeah, what do you think of so-and-so? He seems to be at peace. He's at peace with, I mean, at the highest level, he's at peace with God. He doesn't have any concerns about life because of the hope that is within him. We should rejoice in our hope of sharing the glory of God. In case you're wondering whether I think I'm over-applying, look at the next verse. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Oh, man. How's that going for you? One, you're not suffering that much. This is America. You have a toothache, yeah, go to the dentist. If your back hurts, Glenda will tape you up. Things happen. We have places to run, emergency rooms to hang out in. Quick care in case emergency rooms are not fast enough. Open your medicine cabinet and you've got a choice. You've got to leave and you've got ibuprofen and you've got, uh, what's the other one, Tylenol? And aspirin for your old school types. And people with heart attacks. We just we're we're in a state of not suffering. We desperately want to not suffer. So all well, people do suffer, yeah. Those of you who have had accidents, I mean, I bet you Evelyn could tell you how much it hurt to break her foot. 
We've been praying for Anne's back. It hurts. When your back hurts. I had a Charlie horse this morning. I didn't want to preach on a passage on suffering because I was suffering. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. One of the subjects that came up with a friend um, last night was the subject of theodicy. Okay? Second weird word you can take home and use twice in a sentence today. Theodicy. It's not the Odyssey written by Homer. It's theodicy. The theos, God. Dike, justice. So the idea of God's justice, the problem of theodicy is basically the question, why do bad things happen if God is omnipotent? How can evil, both physical and moral, exist in the world? In the Christian mindset, the Christian isn't thinking about, one, blaming God. They're thinking about the answer God gives to suffering in the world, which is hope at the other end of what? Knowing that suffering produces endurance. Yeah, endurance. And endurance produces character. Oh, dang it. And character produces hope. Oh, later. I want happy now. Because endurance isn't now, is it? And character, that's just the kind of person you don't want to know, right? Someone with character. Someone who just smiles at you through the pain happy because Jesus has saved their rotten soul from hell and they just seem to be full of it and you can't stand them because they got character because they've endured because they didn't see suffering as a problem in the world theodicy is not this is God's answer he has given us in our faith in our hope in our suffering a place for our mind to rest that's the nature of hope and hope, verse 5, does not disappoint us. Only for people whose hope does disappoint them. Is theodicy a problem? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. So you have to say, am I measuring the right things in my life? Am I looking for the peace of God? Am I looking for the hope of glory? Am I satisfied with the path that God has given me to obtain that hope? And do I recognize the Holy Spirit given to me? Now, <clears throat> it's almost like a, a pastime for Christians to blame God. It's almost like they're related to Job's wife. You know, the old phrase, curse God and die. You bet. First sign of suffering, little Johnny gets sick. You lose your leg in an accident. Shake your fist at heaven. People really don't find themselves pointed to the things God is doing in your life by these presences. It seems like it's more fun to us to very quickly go back to the worship of our own selves. Because that's what it's based on. You suffer. Well, 
That's you. Don't you realize that's the most important person in the universe? When you have a headache, nobody seems to understand. Like, nobody has probably ever had a headache besides you. But you have one. And it feels bad. And you just want to... You don't want to endure. You don't want a character out of this. And you don't want hope. You want people to make it go away now. And if they won't make it go away now, they should go away now. Because you're just really nice. Jesus has made you obviously really nice. But what does this describe? Is this how we're describing our own life? Because if you don't endure, guess what? You don't have any character. Right? Because endurance produces character. And if the answer to theodicy is our hope in God, that all wickedness will be punished someday. That's why it tells you, don't take vengeance. For vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will tend to it. I have got to have hope in God that he will deal with the wicked. If I don't get to that hope, I'm going to have a problem philosophically with why God doesn't do stuff. Well, that's what Jesus did on the cross in 1 Peter. He trusted to him who judges justly. That's what he does. So you say, ah, Evan, so you're saying then, Evan, that faith in our Christ is producing long-term this hope, or part of our salvation is our hope of glory, the hope of the answer to the problem of a calamitized world. How do I get there? Well, character. Well, how do I get that? Endurance. I don't want to. Okay. At least we know where the problem is. I don't want to endure. I don't want to just face the suffering of this world knowing that these steps, enduring, character, hope, are the steps that St. Paul laid out. You have to realize verse 6 and following that none of the, the very thing that makes you not want to endure is your really high opinion of yourself you've heard me say that regarding pain and pleasure that your identity as a self is because you feel therefore it matters and it only matters to you what I felt with that Charlie horse this morning, none of you sat up suddenly when the pastor's suffering. None of you thought of my sufferings. After having joked about it here, it just, you, 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 you forgot it like it was Evan's grandchild. Now, it's because you didn't feel it. Boy, if I could make you feel it. Let's just say I have this power, this gift. That any pain I feel, I can wish for you, the congregation, to enjoy it with me. Suddenly, all of you bending over with a cramp in your calf because the pastor is a mean bastard. But you can't. You don't. You only feel your own. Your own. Your own wonderful pleasures. Your own annoying pains. And you matter to you because you matter to your, your own feelings. That's what the nature of you is. 
And that's the big temptation. It's because you have got something to worship and serve. You and your pleasantness. You and eliminating the pain in your life. Rather than enduring it because you have faith in God. Rather than developing into a character, you know that you all, you guys anyway, I don't know if you ladies, some of you more vicious ones probably did, but uh, the movie 300 about Thermopylae with what's-his-face in it, in the Sparta, we are Sparta. All you guys wish you were Sparta, you're not. You know, you're all Lataw County. <laughs> with that noble history of Lataw County's uh, rigorous raising of young men into mighty warriors to defend Lataw County against Banawa and Nez Perce. Well, we don't. We have none of that. So we love to see movies where there was great, great um, strength. We'd like to have character. We'd like to have hope. We'd like to endure. But boy, it hurts so much. Let's go ask about our faith. Because back at the beginning, faith wasn't the target, but faith is how you go there. Do you believe what the apostle is telling you? Do you believe that peace with God is what he's offering you? Hope, standing in his forgiveness, standing in your state of justification, I've obtained access to the grace, and I have hope in sharing the glory of God. It says in Peter, to set your hope fully on the grace that is to be revealed to you. This is our task. This is the answer to theodicy. This is the answer to the, your life. In verse 6 and following, it lets you know that none of this is anything you deserve. You might think you do merely because you feel it. You like your pleasures. I deserve more of this. You hate your pains. This has to stop right now. Because you feel it. But guess what? Nobody else does and nobody else cares. And you don't, merely because you feel, deserve more pleasure and less pain. There isn't any logical demand that you feeling something means you should have more of it. You ever feel that, actually feel that with the last Cheeto? You really like Cheetos? Something you really like, Dove chocolates, speaking to the women here. The last Dove chocolate. The last cashew, the last pork chop. I don't care what it is. You want the last thing because you kind of like them. Right? You like, I love it, I like. You ever tell your parents that when you're a little whiny little 13-year-old? But you know I like vanilla. Well, I had vanilla ice cream last night. I ate the last of it. But you know I like vanilla ice cream. Yeah, but I wanted some last night. You don't seem to understand. I enjoy it. Mom, dad, whoever the complainant, you know, offering it is. The very fact that you enjoy it, you've translated the, the, yourself into a god. Because when the god must be pleased, the god must be pleased. Christianity is you discovering you're not the god. 
Our faith is in someone else. Our faith sets all this aside. And we, even at once we stop and look at it and go, you know, the fact that I want it is not a debt. The fact that I would like the pain to stop doesn't mean I'm owed the pain stopping. Doesn't mean I owed the more pleasure. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Why, one will hardly die for a righteous man. Though perhaps for a good man, one will dare to even die. But God shows his love for us. In, uh, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> while we were yet sinners. Okay, verse 6. While we were still weak. Verse 8. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we are now justified by his blood, how much more will we be, be saved by him from the wrath of God? For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. We were weak, we were sinners, we were enemies. All of this happened. The thing that we believe in, not that we have faith, but that which we believe, the work of Christ, happened without reference to any kind of deserving on your part. You know that I believe it's the thought that counts. How you think of the world. How you really think of it. Not what you pretend to think because you're in a theological discussion with your Christian friends and everybody knows you're supposed to defend X. Whatever X is. No, what you really think. How you really measure things. Do you really measure it by peace or do you measure it by counting off the catechism points on the nature of faith? Do you measure it by knowing you're living in the reconciliation of God? Knowing that you're living in the hope of glory? In the midst of this, he's letting you know that your view about yourself, your view about the nature of events that happen to you, you don't deserve this. This is grace. This is undeserved. It was not earned. But, verse 9, we are now justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him. So it looks at one thing that is the case in you, and one thing that is going to be the case in him. It's reassuring you, by your stand in justification, that you will be saved in glory next. When he says, in verse 10, for if... While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Two things. One is, one will be. What is your measure of what is in you? Are you in the peace of God? That's what reconciliation brings. You're at war with God. You fall on your face and you say, Lord... I give up. You first. You instead. You get reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ. And he is promising you the hope that, remember, that is the end result of you dealing with suffering. He's promising you the salvation that is coming. You are reconciled. You are justified. Look at yourself. Are you?
want to be able to measure the degree of justification. Now, the word justified, eh, don't get caught up in all its legal sounding. Hoorah, I mean, it's a legitimate word for the word used. Made righteous is the concept. That's what you have been. You have been made righteous. And now you have to ask, did my faith, where I went, what I'm doing with Christianity, has it, look, listen to the things tick off in the passage. Do I recognize the peace of God in my life? Do I recognize the hope of glory? Do I recognize being made righteous? Not confessionally. Not because the Christians say it repeatedly for 2,000 years because you've experienced it. Now, one more thing we have to remember that, well, it goes on, verse 12. You say, oh, God, he's only halfway down the page. This is a, chapter 5 of Romans is a wonderful passage, but Therefore, as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all men sinned. Just a slight side note. You are not dead in sin because Adam sinned. You are dead in sin because you sinned. Okay? You sinned because Adam sinned, but you weren't born dead because Adam sinned you weren't born dead. You sinned and you died. We're not talking about physical death. Everyone who physically was born in history is going to die. Jesus died and he was sinless. Mortality might have some kind of connection to your spiritual death, but spiritual death is what we're dealing with here. Not only spiritual death but spiritual being dead. We died in sin. It's not like we're going to die. We died. Indeed, sin was in the world before law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sins were not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. What he is saying there, and Paul has a convoluted sentence, um, approach. He's letting these, especially the Jewish reader, going there was sin before Moses. Moses was the law, but he's at, what, 1400 B.C.? Whatever your view of the date of the creation. I'm a young earth, six day sort of person, so uh, it's about close to 3956 B.C., about three in the morning, April. <laughs> I've worked it out, okay? You can check my math. It is 3956 B.C., but I'm loose on the April stuff. So how many years is that? A couple thousand before Moses. A couple thousand before Moses. During which time there was sin. Between Adam and Moses, there was sin, even though there wasn't law. Remember, the Jews are thinking it's the law that is sin. Well, no. In a way they were wrong, in a way they were right. You can't have sin without law. But there wasn't any law, but there was sin. Even for people whose sin was not like Adam's. 
So there were sins, so there must have been law. What was the nature of the law before Moses? Conscience. Remember? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everybody knew what was good. Everybody knew what was evil. Didn't have the detail of the Mosaic law, but they knew. And death spread to all men because all men sinned. So he takes it back to Adam. The point, you know, probably the process. He had already argued about the role of the law. But he wants to have all men, Jew and Gentile alike, every descendant of Adam, be under this curse, under this problem. And he wants to use the Adam figure, a type of one who is to come, as a way of sticking it in your mind. These are mental constructs. They're not just truths. We want you to think of them as true. But Paul is trying to teach us the mental construct in a way that will keep it. So you think of Adam as the first Adam and Christ as the second Adam. And then he juxtaposes these two uh, circumstances. Verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift in the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. So, sin affected a lot of people, grace affects a lot of people. Matter of fact, much more. Now, in the back, behind all this, not only are you supposed to be focusing where your faith is supposed to effectively take you, peace, reconciliation, justification, joy. Got that joy? Where is that in verse, uh, verse 11? We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have now received this. So I'm supposed to have a certain frame of mind. How do I keep my mind on this? Well, one of the ways is, is juxtaposing the distinction between man and, frankly, you've been on campus or you've been in town, you've grown up, you've seen stuff. You're beginning to get jaded. You're beginning to understand why heaven looks at the world through narrowed eyes. Because people are just wicked, and when they're not wicked, what, they're driving a 10-ton dump truck full of 50-pound bags is stupid. I mean, they just, they are really dumb. I know, I'll do it this way. I know, I don't think I'm really a man. I think I'm going to become a woman. <laughs> great, great idea. Some read a story the other day, a guy who became a woman back in the 70s. Then he had a long number of years of oops. Now he, then he tried to go back. Now he's trying to live as a man again. <laughs> wow, big mistake. We make big mistakes because we're dumb. We make big mistakes because we're evil. That's just the way of it. But what you're being told here is that Jesus Christ, faith in Jesus Christ, is much more. What Jesus does... <coughs> happens in a way that abundance of it much more have the grace of God abounded the word abundance is from abounded you have abundance when things abound 
The grace of God in you is much more than the effect of Adam in you. And can be much more the effect than anybody can imagine. And the free gift is not like the effect. Sin's always been a problem. Your conscience has always been the law. You've always been dead. Spiritual death was always the punishment. And grace is more than you can imagine. That's what Christianity... Everybody has the same read on humanity, pretty much. Same read on your own life. But we're standing in the presence of great gain. The free gift is not like the effect of that one man's sin. For judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brings justification. It's not just that it brings something else. It brings something else that is not caused by the thing that brought it. In other words, I, you've heard of the Latin phrase post hoc ergo propter hoc. Okay? After this, because of this. You can't claim merely something preceded. If something preceded an event does not mean it caused the event. Because Al wore the jersey and they win, he's going to tell himself it's because he wore the jersey. He is incorrect. Otherwise, the Patriots would win because Caleb has his hat, doesn't have a jersey. We're post hoc ergo proctor hoc. Faith. occurs before we are justified but it doesn't do it it's not causal and when something isn't causal when I'm looking for the cause of my justification I know that when I sin the nature of sin and the nature of justice and the nature of judgment all combined to kill me. I should die. I deserve to die. And I will die. But faith doesn't earn anything. Faith does not cause. It precedes. But it precedes as something that precedes, not in a causal chain, but in a personal chain. I believed in someone. It's Jesus Christ who is distinct. It's Adam and Christ, not Adam and Evan. It's Adam and Christ. Verse 17, if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. In between your faith and your salvation stands Jesus Christ. He's not a concept. He's not something you do. He is someone who did this because he loved when you didn't deserve it. He was the infinite God. 
He chose to die while you were his enemy for you. Your faith brings you not to a place where you shove your faith into the dispensing uh, gear in heaven and, and grace is given to you. You approach Jesus Christ through the one man, Jesus Christ. Then, as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one man's act of righteousness leads to acquittal and life for all men. We all followed Adam, right? He led. He sinned. He died. We sinned. We died. Jesus Christ has come with something much more wonderful, that which is undeserved, which is a unilateral act of God in terms of its gift to us, what its offering is. I walk up to it, but I can't offer my faith as that which makes me deserving. I offer my faith because I have recognized this undeserving. And I have recognized this Lord. You don't want to subtract the person of Jesus Christ. You don't want to subtract having to deal with a God. We have a God. We're a religion. We're not a philosophy. We're not a theology with names attached to it. We're a religion that worships a God. This is the God that you've approached. You've approached him with faith. That pleases him. But it is not a force. My faith is not a force that makes God respond a certain way to me. My God is a certain kind of God who loves man. Christ died for the ungodly because of God's love poured out in our hearts. It leads to acquittal in life for all men. Now, we could fight long theological battles about whether all men is all kinds of men or all men. I think it leads all men to acquittal in life. They don't all follow him. We all followed Adam. I don't think we all follow Christ. But he leads to acquittal in life for all of us. But it's him. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Make sure your faith approaches someone. That you're believing not in a function theologically, you're not believing in the power of prayer and positive thinking. You are believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. You are believing in an agent who was Yahweh eternal and became a man and died for your sins because he loved you. It's a real story. It's a real narrative. And if I believe, if he hears me, I have things I stand in. I stand in reconciliation, I stand in peace, I stand in justification, and I have a hope of glory. And that hope carries me through the worst kind of life that can be imagined. 
We're not about deserving stuff. You probably don't want to push that point. You don't want to say, I deserve more than this. And if God looks that down at you and says, tell me, do you really want what you deserve? Right now, would you like to sign a card that says, please, give me precisely what I deserve after I walk out the front doors of the church? Because I'd rather keep the church. So as soon as you walk out of the steps, God in his infinite justice, having looked at you and been very impressed, I'm sure, will dish out to you precisely what his emotive state is going to require of him. His just state is going to require of him. They won't be able to find the molecules that used to be you. Don't ask for that. Don't presume that. Don't walk around like that. You don't deserve anything but what you're going to get in judgment. You're going, and this is the wonderful thing about grace. It's not what you deserve. And you have come to a God in faith with your hat in hand and a, yes, sir, I'm sorry, sir, on your lips. And you're coming to someone. And these are the things you're going to get. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're very grateful. Your son has done far more than we deserve because of his love, not because of our loveliness. And Lord, we are his servants, and we would ask that you would give us that joy of standing in your presence, reconciled to you, enjoying the peace, enjoying the promise of your salvation. And understanding these things and not getting caught up in our own self-interest. Make us better Christians, Lord. In your Son's name, amen.